Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to Talking CFD with Robin Knowles. It's kind of like my show, but for CFD nerds, prepare to ignite. Yes, indeed. Welcome along to another fine episode of Talking CFD, the show for CFDers that's more about growing a business than growing a boundary layer. Today, I'm talking to John Chawner, president of Pointwise, the company behind, surprise, surprise, Pointwise, the CFD messaging software. I'm hoping to pick John's brain about building companies that last, getting and keeping customers, and figuring out how to build new stuff when you have companies relying on the old stuff. Does that sound like a plan, John? Well, Robin, thanks for inviting me. It sounds pretty good. I've been looking forward to our discussion today. Excellent. Just for the um, sake of clarity, can you give the listeners an idea of what, what Pointwise the product is and who Pointwise the company are? Well, PointWise, the company has been around for 21 years. We're heading up on our 22nd anniversary. And what we do is we work really hard to make the part of CFD that engineers hate the most, which is mesh generation. We're trying to make that invisible. Um, And our product um, is PointWise, as you pointed out. It's a full service front end to back end CFD mesh generation package from CAD import to formatting for the flow solver and everything in between, structured, unstructured, overset hybrid, um, all sort of fun stuff. We've been, I've been working in the mesh generation field since 1987. So this is kind of the culmination of not only my career, but uh, all those who work here. So part of the reason for doing these interviews and, and, and doing this podcast is the the desire to talk to, to people smarter than I am about building businesses and how, and specifically people who are building businesses in, a, in the CFD space and, and having spent over 20 years doing exactly that, you were very high on the list. So I'm sure you've no doubt forgotten more than most of us know about this sort of thing. Um, I don't want to fixate on point-wise having been around for a long time for for the whole interview, but I I do think longevity is something that that doesn't get discussed much in this era of startups and uber-fast growth and acquisition and all that sort of thing. So I imagine by now you've got a, a fairly strong um, company ethos or an identity that, that guides how PointWise operates. Is that the case? Uh, yeah, you've kind of just then touched on one of the hot buzzwords in business right now, the issue of culture. Um, there's a quote somewhere, and I don't know who it's attributed to, that culture eats strategy for breakfast. <laughs> um, it's so important to a company, even from the simple standpoint of these are the people you're going to have to spend all day with all the time um, and to have to have something that you enjoy and that, that works um, and is consistent and well planned out um, is important. Now, ours isn't formalized in that sense. Uh, if, if you've you or your listeners have gone online, you've probably seen. Um, company culture documents from like Netflix. There's this kind of famous, there's a company called HubSpot um, who has a very um, you know, famous set of slides that embody their corporate culture. We don't have anything um, like that in terms of written it down and like a, a, a rule book. It, it, and the interesting thing is it's, it's kind of less about values, which can be kind of nebulous, the business and more like behaviors or actions that you know we want to embody in our you know engagement with customers things like and, and there's there's no controversy here i don't think you know honesty sometimes brutal and direct honesty professionalism being helpful actually being friendly even though that's you know not a 
probably the right word to use, but to have professional, personal relationships with our customers over the course of years to help them solve their problems. So again, it's not documented, but there is one. Every organization has a culture, whether you have it written down or not, whether you know it or not, you do have one. Yeah, absolutely. I guess just when you have been around a little bit longer, that becomes, uh, perhaps it becomes even less um, noticeable. Perhaps it, it is just how you are. Um, whereas perhaps when when you're starting up, it, it can be a, a fight between different values and things like that, perhaps. Well, I think uh, one thing that happens um, since, you know, in our particular case, it's not something we have written down. Like I said, we don't have any a culture document that we give everyone on their, their day of hire and say, this is how we expect you to behave. It's more like leading by example and walking the walk and talking the talk to exemplify those kind of behaviors. And someone once told me, um, someone I've known for years who knows the company said, I bet you guys, you know, given two candidates that were more or less equal, you'd hire the person who was a better culture fit than the person who was um, technically superior. And I think that's true. And in fact, I think that would be true for almost any organization is that um, the price you pay for having someone who's disruptive is, is not worth um, uh, superstar productivity. No. Do you, I've seen on your, uh, on your website, your fantastic HQ building. Um, are, you, are you all co-located if you like? Do you all, you all operate out of that office? Um, well, I'm glad you took a took a look at our building. For for we Americans, uh, that's an old building built in 1907, um, and it's it's historical in the sense of where it, um, how it fits in the history of Fort Worth. And we've done some research on the building to find out who was here and who built it and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we're in a in a part of the downtown area that is one of these uh, gentrified neighborhoods where a lot of these older buildings are being brought back. Um, so we're real happy with it. We're right south of downtown Fort Worth. Um, almost all of us are here. We do have um, three people who are uh, located offsite for various reasons. Um, I'm still kind of a little bit old fashioned in that I like, I would prefer that everyone uh, be in this office all the time because I think that level of interaction and being able to talk to them and get them fully ingrained into what's going on here is invaluable. But with the right person and the right circumstance and the right job role, you know, they're you know, people can be fully you know productive working remotely. You know, and, and on top of that. Um, we allow people based on their own personal schedules to work from home if, if the need be. I mean, they, they, that's that's where things are going anyway, right? That whole yeah, yeah, absolutely. virtual co-location and things like that. So it's 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 working out for us. But it, as a practice, we have most of our we have twenty eight people on on staff right now. All but three are here. I imagine the the company didn't look as it does today, way back when. So has it um, has it evolved in more than just headcount? Does it operate differently now? Well, I don't think. Uh, well, yes, obviously it does. We do operate differently now than we did when there were one, two, three, four, five of us out of necessity. But I don't think our evolution has been very different from the evolution of any small company in that regard. Um, 
part of what you see as you grow is the need to put systems in place that you know ensure things are being communicated properly and shared properly and like it or not um, the government uh, once you get bigger they start um, get involved in your business so you need systems in place to simply be compliant with whatever they ask you to do and compliant in a way that is really lightweight so you can say get in get out I'm done here's your paperwork and we can move on to normal course of business but I don't think there's uh, there's been too much of a change in that regard sometimes um, honestly with the more people you have, the biggest issue is communication and making sure everyone's going in the same direction. Um, and that's where I spend, you know, a lot of my personal time is, is making sure that people understand the message explicitly in terms of, yes, this is what we're doing and here's why, so that then they can all act as independent messengers to their constituents, whether that's the rest of their team or their customers or some of our partners and things like that. So the communication is you, as, as the company grows, uh, gets uh, you have to put a premium on that because that's more and more important. I've been told that with 28 people right now, we're at um, what they say in company size is awkward adolescence. Um, that until you get to up to around 50 employees, this is the most awkward time because you're big enough where you need some more formalized systems, but you're small enough where they don't seem like a good fit. It seems awkward to try to apply them. Over the evolution of the company, you've always had a core product. Although the name's changed, the company has revolved around a, a single product. Is that is that fair? Yes, that's correct. And that's by design. So I'm intrigued how, with a long-running product like PointWise, you decide what to build and how to attract new customers. But firstly, how you manage the evolution of a product when you have an existing customer base. I imagine that your customers stick with you for, for a while. Is there such a thing as a typical PointWise customer? Um, no, there's not a, a, a typical PointWise customer. Um, they're all unique in certain ways, but you are correct. We have been uh, blessed um, with a 95% renewal rate for our wow. current customers, um, which I attribute to the way our um, people interact and reflect those values I was talking about before, those behaviors to the market in terms of how they deal with customers, help them solve their problems in a way that's um, with as light a touch and as responsive as possible. So from that standpoint, yeah, we have been... You know, I don't think we would have been in business for 21 years if we hadn't had that. But no, none of them are typical, um, you know, because we're serving people that range from the undergraduate engineering student to the, you know, 25 year CFD professional. So we have people meshing everything from the NACA 0012 to uh, fully configured aircraft with all sort of. Um, things hanging on them um, and trying to get very highly accurate uh, simulations performed. So, and, and, you know, I say aircraft cause that's, you know, my background, but you know, we have automotive customers, we have turbo machinery, chemical processing, power generation, marine, um, biomedical, and then just hosts of other applications. As a matter of fact, we just today published the latest issue of our newsletter in which an architectural firm is using PointWise to make 3D printed structures at architectural scale. 
Oh, wow. So nothing is typical from that regard. I'm guessing one thing perhaps they do have in common is that they've all probably integrated point-wise quite heavily within their workflow and that they expect a certain functionality and the product to work in a certain way. Do you find resistance to change when it comes to developing new features or changing the product? Uh, no, as a matter of fact, I, I I don't think that's the problem at all. You know, we, we're talking here today about um, the business of CFD and the company. That part, to me, is harder than the technical issues. And I've seen that over and over again, that the technical issues are easier to solve than certain of the business issues about running the business, all aspects of it, you know, from top to bottom. The technical issues over time, and, and you know, going back to dependence, I don't want to say that our customers are dependent on, C, uh, on our software. They understand the value it delivers. And because meshing is so critical to CFD, um, that's why we've been able to focus on, uh, you know, just one thing of my design over 21 years is because that's really where all the opportunity lies. Of course, the joke is, is that 20 years ago, people said that um, meshing and pre-processing took up 75% of the time of every analysis. And now they say it takes up 75% of the time of every analysis, which is, <laughs> it doesn't look like you're making progress, but of course, the problems have changed a little bit back from what they were like 20 years ago or even 30 years ago when I got started. Um, okay, so to get back to your, your main question, talking about development planning and how we move forward, I think uh, developers or, or customers ask for change. Yeah, that, there's a certain aspect of not liking change, um, but the change, change is coming, change is necessary. There are so many opportunities for improvement. We handle it in a multiple multitude of different ways. Um, we have a database uh, that we're, we maintain a list of every feature that's ever been asked for uh, over the course of time for the software. Um, who asked for it, what version they were asking about, what they really needed to do. And every time someone else asks for it, we bump up the count. So we can see when we go to develop you know, fill up the development pipeline, look at our development plan for new versions, one of the first things we do is go to that list and sort it by request count. Um, and in the new version of PointWise, it's coming out later this year, PointWise version 18, I'm happy to say that we've knocked off the number one uh, requested feature in that release. Um, so we went to prior requests from customers that we've uh, retained and maintained and monitored over the course of time as we move forward. So that's one source. The other source of development planning is our own expertise. Not in the sense that we're sitting over here thinking, yes, you know, we have our own great ideas in isolation. We spend a lot of our time going to conferences, um, working with our customers, participating in CFD benchmark opportunities like all of the workshops that AIAA has, like drag prediction or high lift prediction workshop. And through monitoring that and seeing the results and hearing what people are talking about, we can kind of formulate ideas that kind of um, pull together a bunch of disparate things, maybe with a little bit longer term view of, oh, I can see, you know, if we move in this direction, we can, we can solve these problems with a certain feature set. So that's the other uh, second aspect of how our development planning goes. The other part of it is, is that one of the teams here, our applied research team is focused on looking at even longer lead 
items in technology and trying to go out and partner with funding agencies to get us working on that in a way that they can feed that technology back into um, the commercial product. So you have those three prongs all coming together. Uh, we manage that actively on a bi-weekly basis. We have a team of senior technical and non-technical people that meets bi-weekly to go over that and what the product plan is. And we're also blessed to have what we call the Pointwise Advisory Team, which is a select group of customers and partners who we show our plans to before we even start writing code in many cases and say, well, what do you think of this? We're going to, we're thinking of adding this. And they've been great on saying, this is, this is a great feature. Go ahead and flesh it out. This one would be nice if you just changed it in this way. And I have no clue why you would put that in at all. And they've helped us formulate that and validate our plans as, as we move things into production. So that's why I think that, you know, maybe that's the engineering mindset. Um, being applied to product planning, it's we have a variety of inputs that we can all uh, bring together, and it's simply a matter of compromise. You know, what can we do with the resources we have in the time available to us to impact the most? And so that's how that kind of all comes together. And I don't really think that's much different from what a lot of other companies are doing. No, perhaps the advisory um, team sounds very interesting. Is that kind of um bi-directional in as much as do um do people come to you and say we're we're developing this new solver functionality for example and it's going to need a different meshing approach um can you help us out that usually comes out more from the applied research side rather than through the advisory team okay. in the advisory team we really let um the customers and the partners drive the discussion in the sense of you know we select people for certain attributes for that, one of which is not, not only the willingness to participate, but also the fact that they're doing interesting things and they have very interesting viewpoints that they could bring to bear. So if they need for their solver something different, um, that's how we get that feedback as opposed to a solver company X coming to us and saying, um, gee, it would be nice if you put in this capability here, here, and here, uh, we get that through the intermediary, which is the common user. And that, that common customer actually works out better uh, because then we're getting actually pulled by the customer in the direction they need us to go rather than having stuff pushed on us by a somewhat disconnected third party. I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I just mean that there's more value to having all that come through the uh, the customer interface. So that works, that's worked well for us. And we, we instituted that a couple of years ago when we did the big um, conversion to our next generation product point wise, which was, you know, next generation after our original product, which was called GridGen. We thought it was really necessary to get their, um, someone else's eyes on this thing early. Um, and since then, we've kind of evolved how we work with the team, and they've helped us evolve our processes. So it's worked out quite well, I think. So was the was the switch to um, to Pointwise from GridGen? Was that a did you have to leave some features behind there? Was it a complete rearchitecting, or or did you keep the essence of GridGen and and and, and add new things? Um, I think the essence of GridGen is in point-wise by design. Um, 
I like to say that it's functionally equivalent, uh, meaning that we could do everything that you used to be able to do in GridGen with exceptions that I can count on one hand, but maybe not in exactly the same way. And we still get people who come and say, you know, I really like when you know, GridGen used to do this. And can you make point-wise do that as well? Um, and we kind of understood that that was going to happen when we went in to this. Um, to kind of back up and put the backstory in, um, John Steinbrenner, who's my co-founder, had started working on GridGen in 1984 when he and I both started working at what was then General Dynamics here in Fort Worth, Texas, which is now Lockheed Martin. The CFD group was brand new and they brought him in and they said, um, oh, you're gonna be our meshing guy um, based on his master's work at Iowa State. And he started writing what was then GridGen. I kind of got involved in 1987 and we went on to develop the code. So GridGen was architected by John and myself and Chris Fouts, who's now with us here at PointWise, when we were in our early 20s. And we wrote it in originally in Fortran. And back then, um, for the GUI, we ended up writing the GUI custom in OpenGL. I mean, this was before MFC uh, motif really wasn't ready for prime time back then. So we carried that forward. You know, from 84 through the founding of PointWise in 94, um, and, you know, took it forward. And, you know, the thing works. People like it. Um, I mean, I, I, I used it for years. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a good code. But, you know, after a while, it, it became the proverbial 10 pounds in a five-pound box. Because, you know, believe it or not, when we were in our early 20s, we made a few bad architectural decisions. Um, that we really needed to undo because it was getting to, the code is getting too complex to continue to develop it and take it another 20 years. So what we did said, let's pull back. We know we need a new GUI. The GUI was the, you know, I talked about our functional requirements database. It was the top complaint. You know, I don't like the GUI for these reasons because it was totally unique. I mean, you had to learn, it didn't look like anything else anyone had ever seen. So we had to, you know, we had to fix that. And while we were doing that, we could re-architect the insides in a way that was much more flexible for us to move forward, uh, like I said, for the next 20 years. Well, at the same time, we took all the methods that people were used to in GridGen and put them in this new package. Um, and the advisory team was key in helping us decide how to make that happen in a way that would be less disruptive. And a lot of the times the discussions would boil down to, yes, it's different, but after a week, I'll be used to the new way. Or, yes, I understand why it doesn't make any sense to port this feature over in this particular way. So given their advice and, and, and some of the exploratory work we did early on, and we spent a lot of time reading about user interface development and user experience and all that stuff, we were able to put together a, a product which um, is, is vastly superior to GridGen. Um, despite the fact that people still use it for a variety of reasons. I, you know, people don't want to change. We talked about that. And that's why for years, people, you know, when we, when they license our software, you get a license of each, you choose which one you want to run. The fact that 99% of the people right now are running uh, point-wise, I consider is a good thing. Um, there are times now when I have to go back and look at GridGen for whatever reason. And I think to myself, oh my God, I can't believe we made people do this because <laughs> 
because point-wise it's such a lighter interaction model and, and much more capable. So that was kind of a long story about uh, product planning, but I hope that answered your question. Yeah, I think so. So when we were bouncing around um, emails before we had this interview, I um, mentioned that I saw Pointwise as a, a what I call a professional product in the sense that a, a newcomer to the space might not appreciate why they need Pointwise as opposed to just the built-in measure or something they could download for free, that they might not even be able to take full advantage of the features um, that you guys have. Is, is that fair? Do, do customers graduate to Pointwise or do they start there? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head directly with your question. There, there are basically two classes of customer. Um, there are the people who don't have a measure and need one. And that would be people um, who have their own proprietary in-house codes, people who are using codes they get from the government or um, uh, things like that. And then there were the people who know they need a better measure. Um, because they develop experience that says, oh, here's why we need to be able to generate these types of cells with this level of quality, with this, this level of control, and to this level of automation. And they, to use your term, graduate to something like pointwise. The other hidden aspect of that is, is that we find that most people aren't using just one CFD code. And in that case, having an independent measure that can pre-process for both um, really helps quite a bit. And then the other aspect of it that we see is with our uh, scripting language, language that we built in the software, it's no longer the case that people get in at point A and they work through the entire software and get out at point Z, their end result. Sometimes they bring an input at, at, at H, work on it for a while and spit out something at K and then in and out at different places. So, you know, the needs have evolved based on their usage models. Um, but you're right. I mean, there are, you know, there are, there are people for budgetary or whatever reasons, you know, I my you know, Solver X has a measure. Why am I going to buy yours when I already have this one that I paid for? Um, and that's a, I understand that perfectly. Um, you know, they know it, they have it, go ahead and use it. Those are the people who will eventually graduate to something like point-wise. There are some people who never graduate out of that model, and that's not a bad thing because they're able to get their work done with the tool they have, and that's that's super. Um, this is why we love the growth of the CFD market, which by some measures is growing faster than the overall CAE market or the overall PLM market because it's, it's a case of the rising tide lifting all boats. The more people we get into using uh, uh, CFD, the more people who fall into either of those camps. I don't have any other choice. I need a measure or I now know why I need a better one. So that, that works you know, it, 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 to our benefit. You mentioned that you were single product by design. Do you think there's room for a pointwise light as like a gateway drug to get new users into pointwise with a, a smaller feature set or, or something along those lines? Or would that be a distraction? Well, again, it's as almost as though you're sitting in on our product planning meeting because this topic comes up about every couple of years. And the key is doing that uh, to come up with a pointwise light, which is not really a good term. I know where you're going with it. Um, that, a, that, that would be positioned in a way that would be 
um, easier for people to, to try. I, and, and you implied that one of the burdens is the price point to get over. And we've thought about that. The trick is making it work for everyone, in all parties involved in that transaction. How does it interact with the, the big code? Um, how do we make sure that, you know, we're doing it as a, in a way that we're not losing money? Because again, the point of this podcast here is about a business. A business exists to make a profit. I know some people have demonized the word profit <laughs> recently, but that's a fact of life. Um, if you don't like making a profit, you know, you could be a charitable organization, but this is what business is about. So we need to be able to do that in a way that makes, makes sense for us and makes sense for the customer in the market as well. We're not there yet, but it's an ongoing conversation. Um, when I met one product, it's really the, that kind of laser-like focus on meshing. Um, we've, we've thought about other products to the point where we were almost ready to hire to support them and we pulled back because we keep saying the money, the investment would make better sense if we just continued to go down the meshing path because there are so many opportunities. When you go back to that statistic I joked about at the beginning that 75% of all the labor in a CFD analysis is in the pre-processing. Any gains in productivity in CFD are going to come from meshing, so why would you focus your effort anywhere else? Yeah. That's what keeps bringing us back to that. I wouldn't get into the flow solver market unless there was a, a I ran across a technology that was uh, just so completely unique and amazing um, that it, it would eclipse everything else that's out there right now. There are so many good tools out there talking about the growth of the market across the board, flow solvers of various types for various situations. There are other great pre-processing tools out there, post-processing tools, and then bigger tools that knit all these things together where you can run multiple parametric analyses and things like that. There are so many great tools out there. One of your early questions was how have things evolved? Um, not if I take a look at it from a market standpoint, not our company standpoint, one of the ways the CFD market has evolved is that with so many good tools out there, with such a wide variety of choices, your message to the market has to be much more focused and that value proposition has to be much stronger in order to make people aware that you're out there and, and make sure you're delivering on that, on that promise within that crowded market. So it's, it's a pretty exciting time to be doing CFD. What can we expect next from PointWise? So you mentioned uh, release 18. Right. We have version 18. It's going to be coming out later this year. It's got uh, unstructured quad and hex meshing, especially with our T-Rex technique, which is a hybrid meshing technique for um, viscous boundary layer resolved uh, hybrid meshes. We're also introducing a new uh, technique called uh, shapes and sources, which allow you to embed um, clustering regions much more easily into the interior of a tet mesh to control clustering to flow features that aren't just geometry driven like um, vortex cores and shock waves and other wakes and other bubbles like that. So that's, um, I just recently wrote an article about that for one of our publications and I think it's the biggest change in the underlying meshing technology in point-wise probably going all the way back to when we introduced unstructured meshing into GridGen a long time ago. Because GridGen, if you don't recall, started out simply as block-structured hex meshing. 
um, and has evolved from there over time. So we have a big new version coming out uh, later this year. And this year is one of the years where we're doing our biannual point-wise user group meeting here in Fort Worth in September. And it would be great if we had a, a big turnout, host you in our hometown, and talk about meshing for a couple of days. Well, I want to thank you for your time today, John, and thanks for giving us a, a look behind the scenes of a, uh, a long-standing business in our industry. Do you think there's something we could leave the listeners with? Do you have a, a story of a mistake that you can help them avoid or some insight they should know before they start building their CFD-related business? Well, since you phrase it that way, um, the one trap to avoid falling into if you start a CFD business is thinking that CFD businesses are so unique that no prior knowledge in the world of business development applies to your company. That's patently false. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of best practices out there that I urge you to take advantage of early and often. Probably the best thing you can do starting out uh, right away is get good professional help for the things where you're weak, counting, legal, um, HR. Start building those systems in place from the beginning, even though it may seem awkward because then you don't have to change them every couple of years. Um, uh, for our business, one of the best relationships that we've built has been with our attorney. And he has proven invaluable uh, time and time and again. He's a great guy. Um, and having him on board from the beginning has helped us avoid and solve a lot of issues. So again, don't don't think you need to reinvent the wheel for your business. Invent uh, new CFD stuff, but you don't have to reinvent the business world. Take advantage of things that are already out there. Excellent advice. Um, where should the listeners go if they want to um, take PointWise for a spin or uh, find out more about you guys? Well, the obvious place to go is our website, which is www.pointwise.com. You can also follow us online with our blog, Another Fine Mesh, which you can find at blog.pointwise.com. We're pretty active on a lot of social media um, channels. Uh, Twitter, we're at PointWise, and on YouTube, you can find us. Our channel is called CFD Meshing. Excellent. Thanks again, John. I'm sure uh, everybody got plenty out of this. I certainly did. Um, thank you very much. You're welcome, Robin. I enjoyed it. Well, I guess you're still listening. You must have got something out of this. So why not hop over to TalkingCFD.com and sign up for the mailing list? Be good to have you. You'll get updates of new episodes and also more info about the end of season roundtable that I'm planning, where you can join me and some of this season's guests live for a little Q&A session. If that's your speed, then drop your email in the box at talkingcfd.com and I'll keep you in the loop. See you next time.